0: Welcome to Sunday School class at Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. I'm glad that we could have this time together. We are continuing our look at the Ten Commandments. Last week, we began a study of the Fourth Commandment, Honor the Sabbath Day. And we are going to continue that uh, for today's lesson. Before we get into the lesson, let's open with a word of prayer. I want to pray for you the, pr- the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So, the lesson today, Honor the Sabbath, Part 2. And our focus is to understand what God intends the Sabbath to be for us and how we can incorporate His use of the Sabbath into our lives. Our text today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, as we look at at the lesson, let's review a little of what we studied last week. First of all, what is a Sabbath? A Sabbath day was simply a day when the Israelites rested from their normal activities. They stopped all their work. It was a time to assemble before God in worship, uh, to offer sacrifices. And each seventh day of the week, each Saturday, was to be a Sabbath day. The seventh day was set aside as special. Uh, It was set aside by God at creation. God created for six days. On the seventh, He rested. And so, His work at creation was complete. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart. So, this seventh day was recognized as God's day. Now, Saturday was not the only Sabbath day. There were annual holy days each year. For example, the Day of Atonement. This was a Sabbath that was set for the tenth day of the seventh month. So, it may be a Saturday. It may not be. And they were even to have Sabbath years. Every seventh year was to be set aside uh, as a, a special year. Now, we don't know exactly when the tradition of observing the Sabbath began. There's no record of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob observing the Sabbath. But when the Israelites left Egypt, they seemed to be practicing a Sabbath day. We have the story of God sending them manna from heaven. And Moses tells them, you're only to gather what you need for one particular day. However, on the, uh, before the Sabbath day, They gather twice as much. And the elders come to Moses and they tell him, you know, we are are concerned the people are gathering twice as much as they need. And Moses says, well, this is okay. They can gather twice as much today because they will not be able to gather any on the Sabbath day. So we can see that they were observing a Sabbath day at this time. And this is before the law was given. They had not yet gone to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. So Moses does receive uh, the Ten Commandments from God at Mount Sinai. And this fourth commandment is very specific. They are to honor the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, the day God set aside as holy. And they are to honor it by not doing any work. They are to stop their activity. They are to rest. And so notice that the commandment is very specific. They are to observe a weekly day of rest every seventh day, every Saturday. So, why did God put this into place? In Exodus 31, 13, God tells the Israelites, Observing the Sabbath was a sign between God and the Israelites. It says, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, a sign is a a reminder, something that points us to a destination, something that reorients us, it keeps us focused, uh, so that we don't get lost. So, a sign provides meaning. Abram Jones writes, A Sabbath way of life acknowledges that God is God and I am not. So, observing the Sabbath was a sign that God was in charge. God rules this world. Our efforts aren't required. They aren't necessary. By stopping our work every seventh day, we acknowledge this dependence upon God. Our rest demonstrates a trust in God. We can stop efforts on our own behalf. God will provide. Now, observing the Sabbath was also a sign of the value of other people. When we rested from our labor and we allowed others to rest from their labor, it would drive home the point that other people aren't here for my benefit. They aren't here to be used and exploited uh, as a means to get what I want or what I need. So, observing the Sabbath reminds me I am dependent upon others. So, the Sabbath is also a sign of God's goodness. Jesus reminded the Pharisees in Mark two twenty seven. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Sabbath was always intended as a blessing from God to man. It's God's gift to us. So, even though we may not like it, even though we may resist it, the Sabbath is designed to force us to stop, to rest, to recover and be refreshed. In fact, Scripture says that even God Himself was refreshed on the seventh day. Exodus 31, 14. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So, we've seen what the Sabbath was and why God put it in place. But what about us today as Christians? We are not Jewish people. We don't live under the Mosaic law. What does God expect us in regard to the Sabbath? And as we talked about last Sunday, there are basically four views. There's the seventh day Sabbath. This is the view that the Sabbath, the fourth command, as it was originally given to the Jewish people, is still binding upon us. That we are required, even as Christians, to observe a weekly Sabbath and to observe it on Saturday, the seventh day. Now, their argument runs that God didn't change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Jesus didn't change the Sabbath. It was men who made this change. So, they would point out there's no scriptural basis for observing a Sunday Sabbath. There's no verse in the Bible that tells us we're supposed to switch to Sundays. Uh, They would say observing the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. If you accept the other nine, why do you disregard this tenth one? Why have you changed it? Now, a second view is the Lord's Day Sabbath. This is the idea that God still requires us to honor a weekly Sabbath by not working. But, the day has been changed to Sunday, the Lord's Day. So, the fourth commandment, to honor the Sabbath day, Saturday, is only one of the Ten Commandments and it's the only commandment not specifically repeated in the New Testament. And so, they would argue this commandment, because it's not repeated in the New Testament, is not binding upon us as the other commandments are. And, we also point to the fact that Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. And that makes it significant. It was the beginning of God's new creation. The original creation was six days capped by a day of rest on the seventh day, making that seventh day Saturday the Sabbath. The new creation begins on the eighth day, the first day of the week, and becomes the new Sabbath. And so the original seventh day Sabbath marked the day that God rested from his creation. The eighth-day Sabbath, Sunday, marks the day that we begin to rest in Christ because Christ has redeemed us by rising from the dead. So, beginning early in the life of the church, Christians begin the practice of gathering together on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so Sunday has almost always been a special day for the church. Now, you have a third view of the Sabbath, and this is the Lutheran view. The idea that God still expects us to observe a weekly day of rest and worship, but it's not tied to a specific day of the week. There's no requirements on Christians to keep a Saturday Sabbath. There's no requirement on Christians to keep a Lord's Day Sabbath. Your Sabbath could just as well be a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday. So they would point to Jesus and His words as we read in Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus clearly seems to be indicating that it's a good thing to follow the practice of a Sabbath day, that it's a blessing. It's something that God has given to us. But Paul, uh, in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, writes, "...therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration," or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul seems to make it clear there's no need to honor one day of the week above another. You can if you want to, but other people may be free to regard every day as the same. Finally, there's what's called the fulfillment view of the Sabbath. This is the idea that the Sabbath was a sign of what was to come. The rest obtained by observing the Sabbath points to the rest that we now have through Jesus Christ. So, our rest today is not just for one day a week on a Sabbath, a Saturday, a Sunday, but it's a continual rest. It's a permanent rest in Christ. And they would look at Hebrews, verses 9 and 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. So the idea is, at the completion of His work, God rests. On the Sabbath day, He had finished His physical creation. Now, through Christ, His redemptive work is complete. So we find a similar resting. And ultimately, all of creation will be restored. And we'll have a final resting. Revelation chapter 1, 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells among His people. So, as we look at this idea of the Sabbath and as we realize that there is a lot of disagreement among Christians as what the Sabbath means and how it should be observed, I think really there are four takeaway principles that we can uh, find from our study of the Sabbath. First, I don't know of any specific verse where I can see a definite obligation for Christians to have a weekly Sabbath. I don't think you can can find a scriptural verse that tells you to do exactly that. Uh, But I think it clearly there is a value in following a schedule of six days of work and one day of rest. So there is value in having a Sabbath day. You know, it was an extremely important part of how the Jewish people observed uh, their relationship to God. It was followed by Jesus. Jesus observed a Sabbath day. All of the apostles did. It's been an accepted practice throughout church history that we adopt a Sabbath day. Now, a second principle we see is there doesn't seem to be any scriptural basis for one particular day of the week. Uh, Now, There are practical utilitarian reasons for using Sunday as our Sabbath. If you can do that, coming together to worship with fellow Christians, this is an important part of observing the Sabbath. And keeping Sunday allows us to join with others. Now, a third principle is we're not under any kind of specific biblical rules or regulations for what we can and cannot do on the Sabbath. You know, all of those specific rules regulating your behavior, those were given as part of the Mosaic Law. They were given specifically to the Jewish people for the purpose of observing the Jewish Sabbath, which most Christians definitely do not observe the Jewish Sabbath. So to me, it doesn't make sense to say that Christians are obligated to keep all of the Sabbath requirements given to Moses except for the requirement to do it on the seventh day. So I don't think you can point to any specific Biblical commands that says, this is commanded by God for you to do on the Sabbath. But we do find a number of principles that are established in Scripture. Principles that help us to, uh, to achieve what God intends the Sabbath to be in our life. Because there are no specific biblical regulations, I think we have to be careful. We uh, have no right to judge other people as worldly or as less spiritual because of how they choose to observe the Sabbath day. I think this was Paul's point there. Now, for most of us, when we start thinking about seriously keeping the Sabbath, we often don't really know what to think. Is this something that we really want to do? Uh, I like this quote. This is from uh, a woman called Jen Michael. And she writes, Ten years ago, When I started to seriously consider practicing the Sabbath, these reflective fears met me. Most new invitations from God seem to me like the offer of bitter medicine. I assume it will taste terrible, though it will do me some good in the end. And she goes on to say that she kind of saw the Sabbath in that way. And if we're honest, a lot of times we kind of feel this way. Yeah, we know what we should do. We know it'll be good for us. We don't really anticipate that we're going to like it very much. Michelle Van Loon writes, To be honest about the Sabbath, she writes, To be honest, it's a gift I'm not entirely sure how to unwrap. I do know this much. I can no longer return it to the giver unopened, as I have for so many years. So the question becomes, how do we unwrap this gift of the Sabbath? How do we get from it the blessing that God intends for us? Now, If we're able to grasp the true importance of the Sabbath, it goes a long way toward helping us to unwrap it. You know, a lot of times we think of biblical commands, reading the Bible, going to church, paying your tithe, fasting. We think of these things as a test that God puts in front of us, a set of rules or regulations to follow that will help to prove our devotion to God. These things will show God that we're serious. We're willing to make that commitment. And so, we kind of feel like God has designed these things as a test to weed out those who aren't really serious about spiritual things. And if we're not careful, we adopt this attitude of, of doing these things to get a gold star from God. Or, even worse, we adopt them to let us see ourselves as more spiritually advanced than those other Christians who aren't willing you know, to put in the effort that we are putting in. Now, if this is our attitude we are going to fail to get any of the true benefits from the Sabbath. So if the Sabbath is going to mean anything to us, we're going to have to grasp in our hearts why the Sabbath is important. Now, the law was given so that the Israelites would know how to live with a holy God. God was making a covenant with them. I will be your God and live among you because I am holy. You need to be holy. And so this is how you should live, to be my people. And so God gives them the law, beginning with the Ten Commandments, these ten overarching principles of what it means to live a holy life. And the Ten Commandments have been seen ever since as the basics of moral conduct. Now, the first three commands, to have no other gods, to carve no images as idols, to not take God's name in vain, all of these have to do with our relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't covet. All of these have to do with our relationships with others. And right in the middle you find the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. So it sits there as a hinge commandment. It actually seems to link both sides or both sections of the commandments. And so I really believe the Sabbath command is given to us to allow us to carry out both of these designs of the law, to allow us to live in right relationship to God and to live in right relationship to others. Now, the hinge aspect of the fourth commandment, we see that in how the commandments are given to the Israelites. Actually, the Ten Commandments are given to the Israelites twice. The first time they are given is to the original group of Israelites who come out of Egypt. And while they are traveling through the desert on their way to the promised land, they receive the Ten Commandments, which included the Fourth Commandment, honor the Sabbath. But you remember, this generation of Israelites refused to enter the promised land. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years until they died off. And it was the next generation that would actually go in to possess Canaan. Now, when it's time for this generation to go into Canaan, God gives them the Ten Commandments a second time and includes the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. But it's interesting. The reason given in the first time and the reason given the second time is entirely different. In Exodus, when the first generation is given the command, they are told, you are to honor the Sabbath day because this is the day that God rested from His labor. And so... You know, God rested on the seventh day. Honoring the Sabbath was the way that we recognize God as creator. In Deuteronomy, though, we are told to honor the Sabbath to remember that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and that God had delivered them. And so the Israelites knew what it was like to be treated as a non-person. A slave was property. In the eyes of the Egyptians, the Jewish people were simply brick-making machines. So honoring the Sabbath was a reminder that this is not God's intent. God's intent is not for our neighbor to serve our needs, but it's, uh, our neighbor is not to help us get you know, what we want. Our neighbor is a person that's made in the image of God and deserves to be treated as such. Now, the big problem, what gets in our way from keeping God in His rightful place and keeping our neighbor in their rightful place is our own basic selfishness. Really, all sin, whether against God or against our neighbor, comes down to the fact that we put ourselves and our wants, our needs, our desires above everything else. And we call this the carnal nature, the sinful nature of the flesh, but sin at its core is not the actions we take, but sin is the attitude of the heart. In Matthew 5:27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is making the point. The sin actually begins long before the act itself. The sin begins with the attitude, the motivation of the heart. And so the sin begins with our willingness to view others as objects to satisfy our desires. The fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath, This is a way of reorienting our focus, of taking our focus away from ourselves and putting it onto God and then onto others. Now, Scripture made a point of saying the Sabbath was a sign. It was to be a weekly reminder to point the Israelites in the right direction, toward God, toward others. Once a week, the whole routine of life shifted. For one day, all of the normal activities that take up the day stopped. All of the things they were doing to survive, to prosper, all of these came to a halt. So once a week, they were forced to pause, to stop thinking only of themselves and to begin to consider God and others. So the Sabbath was a weekly reminder of these two key parts of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So keeping the, comp- uh, keeping the Sabbath it's like a compass. It points us toward true north. Uh, we we are reoriented to a true perspective. You know, we tend to get so focused on our own needs, our task, our perspective on life can be skewed, and life begins to revolve around us. But observing the Sabbath points us back toward God's perspective. Now, one of the main ways that Sabbath does this is to reorient ourselves so that we exist in God's time and not our time. Think of what a day is. You know, our day uh, typically begins when we get up and it stops when we go to bed. For example, if I ask you, what did you do yesterday? You would probably say, well, I got up around 6.30, I ate breakfast, went to work, watched TV, went to sleep around 10 or so. But God's day is very different. In Scripture, we're introduced to the concept of day at the beginning of Genesis. We are told what God creates each day. So notice, this is before the sun and the moon. So by day, God is not simply meaning 24 hours. But the day is a basic unit that's used to measure God's creative work. But notice how God measures a day. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And it always seems sort of strange to me that God measures the day beginning with the evening. This is the opposite of how we normally think of the day. But this is how the Jewish people have always considered days. And Eugene Peterson showed me a, a very different way to think about this. He writes that God begins His day, His creative work, While we are asleep. By the time we get up and start our day. God is already hours into his own day. He's already been at work. When we get up in the morning. We are not walking into a new day. We are walking into the middle of God's day. We are joining him in his work. So we don't start things. We join God in what he is already doing. So he writes. The Hebrew evening morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep and God begins His work. As we sleep, He develops His covenant. We wake and are called out to participate in God's creative action. And so, you know, it's an interesting way to think about the day. The day is not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon God. Now, Abram Jones writes... A Sabbath way of life acknowledges that God is God and I am not. Every week, if we keep a Sabbath, we're forced to stop our frenzy of activity. We're forced to stop and be reminded we are not God. God is the sovereign ruler of this universe. We are invited to join Him in His work, but He is the center. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Acts 17, 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being. So the Sabbath is a weekly reminder. Life does not revolve around me. The Sabbath tells me God is God. I am not. And while this requires my submission to God and to others, it also provides a huge measure of comfort and assurance. I can stop all activities and efforts on my behalf, and I can know that God is still there. God is fitting everything into His sovereign plan. So, we get to the application part. What are we going to do with our Sabbath? Hopefully, by now, you begin to see a value in observing a weekly Sabbath. So, if we recognize we need a Sabbath, how do we actually set about observing a weekly Sabbath? What does it mean in our modern world? Now, the word Sabbath in itself is... A very ordinary, utilitarian word. It doesn't have any holy overtones. It simply means to to cease, to rest from. And while it sounds simple, stopping our 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week lives, this can be difficult. One thing we want to make sure that we don't do, we cannot get caught up in a system of rules. And that's our big tendency. Eugene Peterson writes, We don't have any rules for preserving the sanctity of the day. Only the commitment that it be set apart for being, not using. So, the Sabbath is a way to let us reset, reboot our lives. And we want the Sabbath really to accomplish two basic things. The Sabbath lets us keep God and our neighbor in their proper places. So, if we want a Sabbath that keeps God in His place, we need to ask certain basic questions. How do we incorporate rest and a seizing of our daily routine? And how do we incorporate worship? Now, we start with the idea of rest. How do we build rest into our Sabbath? Well, we begin by stopping our work. But what exactly is work? What should count as work? You know, most of us would think of digging a ditch as work, but what about checking an email or answering a phone call? What would you define as work? We can think of work as what we're paid to do, but I think we need to take a wider view of work. I would define work as tasks or activities that I consider essential to ensure my well-being. So work is the things that I do to advance my own interest, to get what I want out of life. It's what I do to make sure that I have the things that I want and need in life. And notice, this is not wrong in itself. You know, Paul commends work in his epistles. He tells us that we are to work. We're to do something useful with our own hands so that we can have something to share with those in need. And often our work is not selfish. We're working to make sure we can provide for others. So it's not work in itself that's bad. But the idea is we choose a day to stop our work. So, work is not really defined as a specific type of activity. Work is defined more by our motivation. Why we are doing the task. It's not necessarily what you do, but why. So, by necessity, stopping work is going to mean different things for different people. You know, what will it mean for you? So, it's important not only that we stop work, but that we also incorporate rest by stopping our normal routines. Those things that consume our time and our attention every day of the week. The Sabbath was set aside as a different day. And this is often what really trips us up in observing the Sabbath. We have the tendency to fill our lives to the brim with activities and hobbies and entertainments. We pride ourselves on how busy we are because our busyness means that our lives have meaning, that we are important. John Calvin writes, the heart is a perpetual idol factory. What he means is, as humans, we continually churn out idols. We elevate other things to the highest place in our lives, the place where God should be. And when we're forced to stop our normal routine, we realize how empty our lives really are. So observing the Sabbath helps us to stop this cycle of making idols, it lets us keep things in their rightful place. But how exactly do we do this? You know, does stopping our normal routine mean we can only do church stuff on the Sabbath? You know, that we spend our day sitting around thinking holy thoughts? It's, this, is, this is not the idea at all. But I would suggest that you ask yourself a, a question. What things would I miss the most if I stopped doing them for one day? Is there something that I can't imagine not doing for a day? What are the things that I tend to obsess over that consume my thoughts? And this doesn't automatically mean these things should be stopped, but it can help us to identify things that are becoming too important in our lives. Those things that we may need to limit in order to remind us of who God is. So when many people ask themselves this question, They think of their electronic devices, their phones, their laptops, tablets, gaming devices. And so for many people, they take Sunday as a day to limit or to stop their use of electronics. You know, for you, it might be something different. But limiting certain things in our lives to only six days a week instead of seven helps to remind us of who God is and the role that God should play in our lives. Besides rest... The Sabbath is also intended to be a day of worship. So how do we incorporate worship into our Sabbath? How do we make the Sabbath a day when we realize the true worth of God? Now, we certainly want to include public worship, attending church, those things. But to get the most out of the Sabbath, it's probably going to do us good to include other forms of private worship and devotion. Now, it may be something that we read. A Christian magazine a blog an inspirational book it may be watching a a TV show or podcast there can be a lot of different ways that we do this but it's important that when we do uh, focus on spiritual things we don't do it as a discipline as a duty that's just going to turn it back into work but it's important we do these things to learn to delight in God to learn to relish being in his presence If the Sabbath is going to be a true day of worship, it's essential that we also build into it an aspect of celebration. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift, a gracious gift of God to us. As Jesus told us, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We get an idea of what the Sabbath should be from the 8th chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah says, it says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. You know, many Jewish rabbis taught that the Sabbath really couldn't be observed without celebration. You know, the Sabbath was the day where you you washed yourself, you cleaned yourself up. You dressed yourself in your best clothes, you ate the very best food that you could afford. It was a time when even the poorest Jew could stop his daily struggle for survival and celebrate that he was one of God's people. And so Nehemiah told the Jewish people, "The joy of the Lord is your strength." Nehemiah 8:10. You know, why is the modern church so weak and ineffectual? Part of it may be that we've lost the ability to celebrate to build the joy of the Lord into our lives. Keeping the Sabbath could be an important first step in restoring this joy. Now, the Sabbath is not only intended to give God His proper place, but also to give our neighbor His rightful place. So, how do we incorporate a concern for others into how we observe the Sabbath? Well, one key way to do this is to practice hospitality. The literal meaning of hospitality is Love for the stranger. You know, hospitality is welcoming others into our lives. It's a way of making them feel at home, to feel accepted. And it's always been commanded of Christians. In 1 Peter, we're told, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews tells us to not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because you never know if you're entertaining an angel without knowing it. But, you know, today we've lost a lot of the idea of personal hospitality. You know, we now have a hospitality industry. We have professionals who are are hospitable for us. And so maybe we've lost the importance of showing hospitality ourselves. And a lot of times we think of hospitality as being one of the spiritual gifts. So the idea is some people have this gift and some don't. But that's not a biblical way of looking at this. You know, there are several places in Scripture where there is a list of spiritual gifts. And hospitality is not included in these lists. In Romans 12, Paul goes through and lists spiritual gifts. He does not include hospitality. But it's interesting. In the next few verses, he goes on to list what should distinguish a true Christian. And look at verses 12 and 13 of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, All Christians... Should be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So Paul's making it clear. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift that God gives to you. Hospitality is something that God expects you to practice. And so while we tend to equate hospitality as something mainly women do, men are not excused from this. In Timothy and in Titus, one of the requirements to be a bishop was to be hospitable. So, how do we incorporate hospitality into our Sabbath? There are a lot of ways that we can do this, but you know, hospitality can mean more than just preparing a meal or having an overnight visitor. At its most basic, hospitality is the idea of making room for others, opening up ourselves and our lives to include others. So, on the Sabbath... I make a special effort to make room for others in my life, to do something, to open up my possessions, my home, my time, my life, to make room for someone else. You know, I think it's interesting. We can think really of each, each night as a mini Sabbath. You know, every day at evening, we go to sleep. We stop our activities, you know. And this is the time when God is actually beginning His work. He's carrying it on while we are contributing nothing. So every day we are forced to sleep. We are forced to stop. And it's interesting, from a biological standpoint, we really don't know why we have to sleep. We know that sleep is essential. We know that without it, you're going to be in serious trouble. We know some of the things sleep does for us, but we really don't know why we sleep. But think of what life would be like without sleep. You've had those days when you've laid down at night and you thought, boy, am I glad this day is over. What if it were never over? What if you never went to sleep, but life was instead just one long day? So, every night we are forced to observe a kind of Sabbath. We're forced to go to sleep and stop what we've been doing and allow God to keep working. But God gives us a choice in whether we observe a weekly Sabbath. We can ignore that weekly Sabbath if we want to. But if we want all that God has for us, we need to seriously consider how we can incorporate the principles of Sabbath keeping into our lives. And so I would urge you as you go through this next week, think about how can you make the Sabbath part of your life? How can you get out of it what God intended for it to be? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this lesson. We thank you for your word and for what you've taught us. We thank you for the gift of your Sabbath. So many times, Lord, we neglect to use this gift. And we ask that you would help us to know what it is that you want for the Sabbath to be in our lives, to help us to have the discipline to follow through with this and incorporate this gift into our lives in your name. Amen.